Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. All right, there you have it. Screaming for Vengeance off of the 1982 album of the same name by your friends and mine, Judas Priest. And I just think they were prescient, buddy. We actually find people screaming for vengeance. Well, Brad, I think that's right. And I think what's also interesting is when you look at the trajectory of Judas Priest, right? When you look at it, mm-hmm. uh, you have to consider, I think, the Michael McDonald years, the best years of Judas Priest, right? You look at Michael McDonald, great singer, songwriter extraordinaire, performer, was wonderful on the keyboard. And then they transitioned to Peter Cetera, and it just wasn't the same. No, I, I think most of our fans would agree with you that until Rob Halford got there to take over for Peter Cetera, uh, you know, you had a, what would be called the dark years of Judas Priest. But they were they were for sure back by 1982 with the Screaming for Vengeance album. Uh, good choice by you. And uh, I'm excited. We're back here in the studio, live studio audience. Dozens and dozens of people here with their Patents being held up high, waiting for one L. Bradley Sheaf to put his John Hancock on each and every one of these U.S. patents. And I look forward to it, as I always do, my friend. I appreciate the folks who bring the ribbon copy. I mean, that's really taking it that extra step. I mean, I'm happy to sign just a, a copy of your patent, but the folks who, who actually have the wherewithal to bring in the ribbon copy, that's saying something, and I appreciate it. And a few of those people are actually, I was talking to them out back in the uh, bullpen before the show, and a few of those people, uh, Brad, are actually going to trial with those patents in a couple of weeks. So this will maybe bring them one step closer to the American dream. Let's hope so, my friend, as it should be. Well, a lot to get to this week. First and foremost, I understand you are returning from, from a nice trip down to Dixie. Uh, and again, you don't, you don't spend much time uh, in, the, uh, in the Deep South. How did you, uh, how did you like it? Was, it? was it fun? You know what, buddy? The trip itself was very worthwhile. My wife and I went down to a place that neither of us had ever heard of. And uh, the name of that place is Sea Island, Georgia. Now, I'm sure many of you listening to us have, have heard of it, have been there. It's it's lovely, splendid time. You can only get on Sea Island if you've been invited there. It's interesting. I've never gone to an island that wasn't also a prison where there's a guard shack in order to get on the island, but that is true of Sea Island. So don't just go, folks. I mean, you need to you know, have a hotel reservation or some such thing, and you're not getting on Sea Island without an invitation. 
Is there is there like a uh, is it like an Alcatraz situation where you have some people doing work release on the island or is it just full blown? No, it's really just the perimeter that is Alcatraz like uh, once you get on the island itself. As I said, it's very lovely. It's full of lovely people. And uh, as I said, uh, we had a great time. But yeah, getting on there is a little disconcerting. You know, there's a guy standing there with his arm held out in front of him. There's bright lights in your face. You're just, trust me, my friend, you're not getting on Sea Island unless you are intended to be on Sea Island. And then you're on Sea Island at that point. And then you're on it. You're not getting off, right, until yeah. your reservation is over. And then, you know, you hope for the best and, and you know, make a break for it as it were. Yeah, just run as fast as you can for the murky waters of Sea Island. Well, it's good to have you back. While you were gone, while mm. you were gone, the ratings are in, and you are literally part of the number one weekend show on the cable radio network. Oh, come on. you got to be kidding me. Is that true? It's, it's absolutely true. People are very excited about it. And I, I, I've talked to whole families who on Saturday mornings will huddle around the uh, the big radio. The old Marconi. Um, yeah, the old Marconi, the Vitrola in the living room, although that may mm -hmm. be a record player, I'm not sure. Uh, but just huddle around it. Any Really, any piece of equipment that's plugged in uh, to a wall outlet, they'll huddle around it, hoping, hoping to get a listen to uh, the latest episode of IP Frequently. And I've, I've also heard that uh, some of the smart Samsung washing machines are tuned specifically to what we're on. Yeah, that, that is true. I don't have a Samsung washing machine myself, but I've heard that. We actually heard, oddly, I don't know why, just the second segment of the show last weekend through a toaster. Yeah. Yeah. And but that's that, you know, I mean, I don't giving. pretend to understand half the you know, internet-connected devices anymore, but I liked it. It's all IoT. It's all IoT, and it's and, and what's great about it is you can get your toast, maybe some marmalade, a jam. Mm -hmm. I I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, you are listening to the program. So you get your toast, maybe you get a coffee, you listen to the program. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's too late for coffee at that point. I I don't know. No, oh, so I think it just depends on you know which coast you happen to find yourself on. You ever have a crumpet? I you know what? I someone asked me that. No word of a lie. Someone asked me that the other day. Within the last week. Someone asked me if I had ever had a crumpet. And the answer is, I don't know, because I don't know if a crumpet is a specific thing or if a crumpet is just like a, a pet name for any sort of toasted delicacy. Now, Do you know the answer to that? I know it's the former. A crumpet is like okay. an English muffin, only it has dozens and dozens of little perforations or holes in the top. So that when you toast it, it comes out almost like a muffin top, but it has holes in the top. When you put the butter in, the butter sinks into said holes. So every bite is like taking a bite out of a sponge. Tastes better than a sponge that's saturated in butter. That's a crumpet. That's genius. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. Yeah. So now I can answer the question. The answer is no. To my knowledge, I've never had a crumpet. Well, next time I see you, I'll make you a crumpet. I have not had a crumpet since I believe it was May 12th, uh, 1981. Oh, that was a good month. The birds crumpet. were singing, the flowers were blooming, and you were enjoying a crumpet. We have a new segment that we premiered last week uh, when we sent uh, our man on the street, Jared, out there to interview JFK Jr. and apparently Sr. as they came back to Dealey Plaza decades after uh, JFK Sr. was 
was assassinated. And that's called the, uh, the, the old grab bag segment. Mm-hmm. And so I thought for this week, Brad, rather than leading in with the infrastructure bill or Biden's queefing or the new uh, COVID uh, vax mandates being um, uh, being uh, overturned or stayed by federal courts, I thought maybe we could take a moment and reach into the grab bag and pull something out and see what we get. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, Let's see, Brad, this week, uh, the Jared grab bag, we're going to talk about the new OSHA regulations regarding uh, the COVID vaccine testing. Oh, let me tell you, our people have been clamoring for this. And so I'm glad to hear that we're going to cover it right here in the top segment. Now, again, it's the Jared grab bag. It's not the grab Jared bag. That's a different bag uh, that is, you know, unfortunately, not uncommonly seen in these parts, but this is the Jared grab bag. And so I'm all ears. Well, what are the new OSHA regulations with respect to vaccine mandates? And let's let's ask Jared about that. But first, Brad, I would you consider I mean, I've always considered you an OSHA guy. Are you an OSHA guy? You know, I'm not a huge fan of the implementation. I, I like the idea. I appreciate folks who say, hey, occupational health and safety is important. And I will spend my life trying to make sure people are both safe and healthy in their occupations. That's a noble calling. There's no doubt about it. But the the implementation is oftentimes a little strained. It is. So Jared, what do you what do you say about this? The new vaccine, COVID testing, OSHA requirements, COVID. The requirements were set to affect all businesses in the United States of 100 employees or more. And then it was swiftly stayed so that it no longer affects all businesses with 100 employees or more. Mm-hmm. And currently, we are in a limbo, not knowing what to do. And I think we'll be hanging out here for a while. And that's good. And for those of you who are um, confused at the Zoom monitor, we've got it in the, in the, um, in the in the studio here, that is actually a live OSHA call that is going on where Jared is conducting other business. So he's he's actually advising some of his um, colleagues from another enterprise about something completely unrelated to IP frequently. Brad, uh, as you know, we always tackle the big issues. Uh, we are not afraid to face down issues that other people won't even address, won't even talk about. Um, we've got inflation running rampant. People are wondering how they're going to pay for their Thanksgiving crumpets uh, coming up in a few weeks. It's going to be expensive. And then, and then, my friend, a home heating oil is uh, already projected to skyrocket as we enter the winter months. You know, you notice home heating oil never skyrockets in the summer months. No, it's odd. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, you would think that oil would be oil would be oil, but apparently not. Apparently, the winter months have some impact on the price of home heating oil. It, it, it seems somewhat bizarre, but then we've got uh, the good news is the president is in the middle of uh, uh, Scotland, was in the middle of Scotland last week with such, with, uh, such luminaries as uh, I think Tom Hanks, Jeff Bezos, and of course, the great uh, uh, Prince Charles to solve the global climate crisis and to try to address, uh, to try to address things before we go into a horrific winter where people can't afford to pay for their home heating oil. Yeah. So, I mean, the real question you have to ask yourself is, 
did Prince Charles intend to be at the Global Climate Crisis Conference, or was he just sort of wandering about the greater kingdoms of, uh, you know, the United Kingdom, Great Britain, Wales, Scotland, et cetera, and, you know, happened to find himself there? Well, I don't have the answer to that. I can tell you that he brought his lovely wife, Camilla Parker Bowles, I believe is the Duchess of Cornhole. She might be. In fact, if ever a title fit a personality, I think uh, Camilla Bowles being the Duchess of Cornhole would be that. Yeah. And and look, she was there, uh, obviously, to root him on. And these are serious people. John Forbes Carey was there, the people's choice. John Forbes Carey, JFK, was there, not in Dealey Plaza with Jared, but actually at this conference. He's our climate czar. Well, that's a good job for him. He doesn't know what he's doing with anything else he's ever been given to do. But apparently there were a couple of problems last week at the old uh, climate conference with the president. One, he fell asleep in the middle of a... Uh, um, one of these big uh, segments where I believe Greta Thunberg was lecturing everyone on uh, global warming, and that's fine. But then uh, international scandal afoot as he passed gas. The president of the United States, Joseph uh, Biden, passed gas while talking to the Duchess of Cornhole. Boy, that's a, you know, you don't really know where to come down on that. Like, I think if I was accosted by the Duchess of Cornhole, I might you know, temporarily feel a little, you know, back pressure in the system, if you know what I'm saying. Now, I'd like to think, you know, and and certainly the president has more years of experience than either you or I with dealing with these issues. He's a, you know, a man clearly in his dotage. Uh, I'd like to think that I would, you know, handle it in such a way that it wouldn't be noticeable. Uh, But you know what? I mean, maybe he just decided what the hell I'm going to let one rip. Apparently, apparently. So the reports are that the pair, uh, the president and the Duchess of Cornhole, were uh, making small talk at the Global Climate Change Cocktail Hour in Scotland when the president broke wind. And quote, here's a quote here from the report, Brad. It was long and loud and impossible to ignore. Uh, Camilla has not stopped talking about it. Well, yeah, again, I, I, I don't really know who to blame, if anyone, in that set of circumstances. I think if you're having small talk with the president of the United States and you know he fires one off there and, and it's something that you can't ignore, I think that probably does come become a topic of conversation. Again, given his current mental state, probably didn't even realize that was him. He was probably looking around you know, to see where the sound had come from. And so, you know, probably not something, you know, a problem that you can lay at his feet, although something, you know, else may have landed down near his feet. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess you can't really blame Camilla for going back to the Palace of Cornhole and, you know, sort of regaling folks with that tale. Yeah. Well, the Princess of Cornhole is a very um, uh, prominent individual in the um, in the British Isles. She's a she's a princess. And um, and look, I mean, th- this is an international scandal now. It's taking on a life of its own, literally and figuratively. And I can't believe that helps the quest to uh, clean up the environment. I can't believe it. Well, no, I think it's probably counterproductive, right? I mean, I assume that's a greenhouse gas. I haven't studied all of them, uh, but I assume it is. And so in addition to the 85 cars in the caravan of your and my commander in chief, 
Uh, we also have that episode. And so someone's got to account for that in the overall carbon footprint of the event. I mean, I, I presume someone will drop a footnote and just say, hey, you know, we calculated the carbon footprint, but, you know, we need to also account for this, not really sure, you know, sort of what the, the cubic volume of the, of the expression was, but it does need to be added to the overall total. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And and hopefully I think there are some offsets going on with the Duke and Duchess of Cornhole and the Prince of Wales, Prince Charles, who I also believe is is I mean, I do believe he's the Duke of Cornhole, Brad. I mean, I'm not uh, I don't think I'm it's not a state secret here, um, but I think they have some credits and some offsets that could alleviate uh, any of the catastrophic um, environmental impact of the uh, of the FARC date. But anyway, Brad, we'll keep monitoring this like uh, many other things. We'll bookmark it and we'll return to it. Hopefully not that often, but yeah. uh, and hopefully at some point it'll dissipate and then there just won't be an issue. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's the hope. I mean, folks in Scotland are certainly praying for that and that it doesn't you know linger there in their beautiful country. And, you know, that's our, our hope and prayer as well. Yeah. So uh, next, uh, Brad, is the. Uh, the woke report where we go into all things woke and try to understand why woke is woke. Let's do it. I'm ready. Uh, well, so I'm this ready. week we've got a, we've got a couple of items. We just had the big, uh, uh, the big uh, elections took place a while ago and it looks like a lot of the woke people were, uh, were wiped out, so to speak. Um, and uh, it seems like there's a little bit of a turn in the tide, but that is not stopping the uh, great bastions of wokeism that are our universities from continuing uh, to push a woke agenda. Uh, in particular, MIT now is facing some backlash because they've fired the MIT chaplain. The MIT chaplain who, after uh, Lloyd George was killed last summer in the summer of riots by that police officer, um, uh, he issued, the chaplain at MIT issued a report, a letter uh, saying that you have to understand uh, that uh, while this murder should never have taken place, you have to focus on the lar larger picture and riots are not appropriate. Uh, well, he was quickly whisked out of MIT by the woke mob and fired. And now there are a bunch of MIT alumni who are withholding um, donations to the university uh, because of this, because of this wokeism. So it seems like there's a little bit of a backlash. Now, the endowment for MIT, I think, is already about $15 trillion, so it probably doesn't matter that much, yeah. but it seems like some people are at least speaking out now on some of the, uh, um, the, the PC culture that is, uh, is sort of permeating our college campuses. But yeah, I mean, my, my guess, that's what I was thinking when I heard you, you know, t describing this is that unless those alumni are, you know, really writing some big checks. I doubt that the current administration of MIT is overly concerned. And, you know, I, I don't, it's on, the whole thing is unfortunate, right? Because you've got the, the left likes to pride itself on this whole idea of tolerance. We need to be tolerant. We need to be tolerant of other views. We need to be tolerant of other people and their cultures. And generally speaking, I tend to agree with that, right? I mean, I think that the world is a better place when we all try to see things from each other's perspectives. We listen, don't have to accept, but we listen. We say, okay, I think I understand where you're coming from. Here's my point of view. I think the world is just a better place when that's the way we operate. 
And I just find it incredibly ironic that when someone expresses a point of view, and I, I took a look at the at what it was the Catholic chaplain at MIT, and it, you know, it was a matter of months ago, I, I took a look at what the guy said, and certainly there are areas where I could see people saying, well, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. Okay, that's fine, but it was not unreasonable, and it was certainly not you know, ismistic, if that's a word, right? I, I didn't detect culturism. I didn't detect racism. I didn't detect elitism in what the Catholic chaplain wrote. In fact, it was the kind of thing you would expect a chaplain to write. Like, hey, let's, let's you know, acknowledge the horrificness of the crime that was committed. Let's acknowledge that. And then let's take a step away from it and decide what our best approach to it is. How are we going to try and mitigate behaviors like this in the future without rioting, which, you know, near as I can tell, never fixes anything. And so that was kind of the chaplain's point. And apparently, you know, there's no tolerance for, you know, reasonable, rational discourse, right? The guy's gone now. You know, the upside to being a Catholic priest is I'm sure he landed someplace else. I'm sure he's shepherding his flock and doing the best he knows how to do that. Uh, but it does make MIT look incredibly small minded, which is not what I think you're looking for if you're MIT. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we've evolved as a society from a place where we encourage, especially at university level, right? We encourage exactly. free exchange of ideas and people... Um, uh, encourage people to have debates and encourage people to vigorously defend their positions. And now it seems like the opposite is true. If you say something that is contrarian, right? If you somehow take on the woke Twitter mob that has a set regimented set of things everyone must believe in, if you don't follow that exactly, you're out. Whether it's a professor who writes something it's controversial. Um, whether if, if something as crazy as, Hey, all sides should be heard, whether it's someone that takes on the, the, you know, some of the COVID stuff that uh, has, has taken place across this country or someone who heaven forbid says that anything Donald Trump did anything uh, is worthy of uh, popular support. Um, any of that stuff is discouraged. And if you take the wrong position, you're going to be fired. That is the, that is the message. And we've evolved from a free marketplace of ideas at the university level to this crazy um, uniform wokeness as being, as being the norm. And as soon as the sooner we can get out of this craziness, the better, but this MIT example is, it, what's interesting to me about it is the fact that people are actually standing up and saying, wait a minute, this is going too far. I, I think that's probably the first step to maybe getting back to some sort of normalcy. Well, and the thing that bothers me about it, in addition to all of those things, and you're exactly right. I mean, if, if there's any place you want a free exchange of ideas where you want to let people speak their minds. And I, and I don't know why, I, I mean, again, I just don't see the downside to that, right? I mean, even if what you want to do is identify people you never want to be around, right? So, I mean, you just want to say, hey, look, let's find out where everybody stands on this so I can pigeonhole people and decide I don't like them based on their free expression of idea. Even if that's sort of the limited use to which you want to put the concept, 
then you still need it, right? I mean, you still need to understand where people are coming from, even if you just want to use it as a filter, right? But this this whole idea that we're all going to have groupthink or silence doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's just pure cowardice on the part of leadership, right? As opposed to leadership standing up and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, we may not agree with this person, or in fact, we don't. In fact, we disagree with this person. But in order for us to flesh out all the possible approaches to this issue or that issue, or to even understand what the issues are in different people's minds, we're all going to have to listen. And we're going to have to put on our big boy pants because we might hear something that offends us. And we're going to have to act like adults when that happens, because that's a good skill set to have. I mean, any of you out there that are running small businesses know that it's nice when you have employees who can act like adults, but you're not going to get any out of a university that doesn't allow for the free exchange of ideas. And frankly, I don't want to work for any cowards, right? And I certainly don't want to go to a school that is led by cowards. I'd rather go to a school that is led by someone who freely states things I disagree with, but will also listen to me respond back, right? I'd rather go to a school where the leadership and I are on opposite sides of issues, but at least we can discuss it than where we don't have any idea really where the leadership personally stands because they take the cowardly approach of simply saying, ooh, that was not party line. Let's get rid of that person. That'll be easier than having to actually step to the forefront and lead. But as I've said, you know, time and again, you've said the same thing, my friend, I keep doing it. I, for those of you that are concerned about this situation in which we find ourselves, this sort of approach to life, if you want it to go away, then unfortunately, I think the quickest way for that to happen is to let it play out to the absurd ends to which it is going. Right? Because what happens then is even folks who initially might have said to themselves, you know, I don't really understand woke, I don't know what it means, I'm not real familiar with the issues but I'm open to it. I want to be an open-minded person. I, I, I'm going to align myself with the idea that maybe there are, there are you know, thoughts, concepts, approaches that haven't been well heard in this country. Let's go there. When the opportunity is presented to the woke mob and this is the direction they take it, then even those folks are going to take a step back and go, you know what? No, uh, that's, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to create a party line. We're not trying to create groupthink. We're not trying to create 1984. Let's take a step back and, you know, maybe not support these movements quite as rapidly as, as we did. And at the end of the day, I think that's going to be the quickest way out of the woke forest into which we've walked ourselves. I saw a, uh, a video the other day of Peter Hitchens, who's the British uh, writer, speaking at a campus in the States. Uh, and somebody literally pulled out one of those, you know, foghorns or whatever, you know, right. And it started blowing it right in his face when he tried to talk and um, just, just, you know, these shrill sounds over and over again um, so that they were completely wiping out any ability he had to communicate to the people that came to see him speak. And that's happening everywhere, right? That's, that's happening everywhere. That, uh, that shut it down mentality is happening everywhere. And I mean, it is, it is insane, but look, that's where we, uh, that's where we are now. That's what people, uh, that's what people want to see. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just not it's it, it's not conducive to a healthy 
society. And then you get all this craziness in there about, uh, uh, you know, defunding the police and about the, the reparations thing. And then the stuff with Biden and the, you know, half a million dollars to each immigrant family. And, you know, they just keep one upping each other. And, you know, one, eventually we're going to go broke as a country paying for all this stuff. But two, the minute you speak up about any of that, you're a bigot or you're racist or you're um, someone who shouldn't have the right to speak up about it. And it's uh, it's unfortunate that that's where we're headed as a society. But even after these elections were over, you know, you remember James Carville? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your boy. Mm-hmm. Raging Cajun. The snake, I believe they called him. Raging lover. His lover was Mary Matlin. I believe they were actually married. I mean, I hope they are lovers, if that's the case. But I, I believe that was an odd household with a very, you know, left-leaning member and a very right-leaning member. But you know, maybe it makes for a, you know a, a nice piece in the middle. I don't know. Well, she she was working for the Bush White House, and he was working for for Clinton. She was right. talk, torn between two lovers and feeling like a fool. Probably much of the time, yes. Loving both of them was breaking every rule. In fact, could have been. Could have been. But anyway, anyway, Carville comes out after this most recent election and he talks about the fact that uh, you know, the, the, the defund the police stuff is lunacy and the people in the inner cities need the police, which is obviously true. And they want the yeah. police. And that's what people that the, the people are just turned off by this crazy, crazy wokeism. And, you know, he sort of stood up to this mob and, you know, they shouted him down. I mean, that, that that's. And it, 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 it's amazing. And then and then somebody he got suspended on the, the Twitter face or whatever um, because of something he said. And uh, it's just amazing how the first inclination of the woke mob is to shut down free speech. Well, and, and you know what? I mean, that that, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Right. Because you and I tend to not be on the same side of issues of James Carville. But again, both of us can can look at him and say, you know, that's a well thought out guy. I don't agree with him. It, you know, I, I it's it sucks that he's on that side of the ball because he's actually a pretty good ball player. And, and you know, and we saw the results of that in the Clinton campaign. But he's certainly well thought out. You know, he doesn't open his mouth and have foolishness pour out, which is what typically happens with some of these woke spokespeople. But again, I maintain that the quickest way through this is just to let them continue to push and push and push further and further and further into areas of absurdity, because eventually, you know, you bring enough air horns to enough presentations where there are actually people there who want to hear it. And it's always interesting to me, buddy. It seems like, and this may be unfair. I'm not, you're not a protester. I'm not a protester. That's not the way we approach life. We want to, you know, kind of influence things in a way that we feel is, you know, more mature, more likely to have a long lasting impact than just, you know, marching around and screaming at people. That's not the way we go. And typically, you know, it is, it is the more, I don't know what the right word is. It is the more conservative. It is the more right. I, I, you know, not right is incorrect, but to the right side, folks who just don't do a lot of protesting. But eventually, if I'm trying to listen to someone speak and some jackass is right next to me with an air horn, I'm just going to hit that dude. That brother's going down. Yeah. Right. And 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 we're going to get to the point where the folks on on kind of the other side of this issue who tend to be more reserved, tend to be more quiet, tend to just say, hey, let's, you know, let's let the a-holes be a-holes. We'll be over here doing our thing. 
are going to reach a breaking point, and that's going to be interesting, right, to see how that all plays out, to see the folks who wanted to hear a speaker speak just go, you know what, I'm not having it. Take the air horn, you know, and, and use it as an implement to perhaps inflate the person from the inferior end. And, you know, maybe that's what it's going to take. We call that a bite. We call that a bite. It's kind of sort of like a reverse bite. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe that's what it's going to take. But I, I continue to maintain that the quickest way to get out of this phase of our national history into which we've gotten ourselves is to just let it go to absurdity. Let people see that. Let folks who tend to be on the more liberal side of issues go, ah, this isn't working you know, our message is being lost in all this lunacy. Let's pull it back. And then maybe we can get to the place where, you know, as we've said many times on this show, where we want to be, right, where you're having an honest, open discourse about the issues of the day and looking for good solutions. I mean, that has made this country what it is and has been and is the only way to go forward and, and address some of the clearly difficult issues we have to address. I don't think there's anyone who is saying, eh, you know, we can just stand pat. America is good enough as it is. That's never been the way we view things as Americans. We've always wanted to take the, take the next step. We've always wanted to push the envelope. I think we still do. But you have to do that through discourse and through negotiation and through looking for the best way through. And no one on the woke side wants to do that. Right. And so I think my hope, at least, is that by letting them completely show all of their cards, it will, you know, get everybody to wake up here a little bit and go, that's not going to work. And, you know, kind of come back towards the middle where things can actually get done. I mean, some people might say woke is waning all around. They might. Indeed. That's that's perhaps, poetic. My perhaps not. Perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but don't uh, know. Brad, uh, the audience is whipped into a frenzy, as always. You can hear them in the background. Uh, fever pitch doesn't do it justice. No, but of course you're not allowed to be at a fever pitch anymore because that's one of the things on the symptom checker on the COVID symptom checker is if you're at a fever pitch, then there's a possibility that you have this virus that you have to be tested to know you have. That's how deadly it is, is that, you know, you have to, you, you really have no idea you have it until you're tested for it. And then you have to quarantine um, now that you know you have it. And so, you know, it's a, it's a difficult, complex issue, obviously, but a fever pitch is not something you want to get to. You also don't want to have a cough or diarrhea, uh, apparently, based on a symptom checker I had to fill out yesterday to watch my daughter play volleyball. And so, you know, that may have been Biden's issue, right? He didn't want to admit to the diarrhea because then he has to quarantine. And so he decided to try and ride that out and uh, obviously, for both he and the Duchess of Cornhole, that did not work out as well as as they would have hoped. Yeah, he ended up playing the back nine with the Duchess of Cornhole and got burned. I agree with you. Totally yeah. agree with you. Well, Brad, let's move on. Uh, natural segue to the COVID corner. This is sort of a safe, secure place. No one is is blowing a whistle in your face um, or any similar instrument. We're just trying to get out information to our audience about the latest related to COVID-19. Yeah. When do we get, buddy, I'm sick of COVID-19. Is there ever going to be like at least a COVID-20? Can we make some progress or are we just going to 
talk about COVID-19 until you and I are long dead and gone and our children have picked up the mantle. I think we're probably talking about a long road here, my friend. I don't, I don't see it waning anytime soon. I mean, Dr. Fauci was named people's sexiest man on earth. Uh, that's not uh, by coincidence. Was he really? I don't know. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, the really unfortunate part is I didn't know whether or not to believe you. Typically, I know when you're screwing around and I could actually see People Magazine doing that. And so, you know, I mean, that just kind of tells us where we are. But of course, you don't really know what Fauci looks like because he's typically in a mask and advocating, sometimes wearing two of them simultaneously and advocating others do the same. Although sometimes he seems to just completely reverse himself and march around in public with no mask. So I, I don't, you know, it's tough to know whether Fauci is a sexy or B has any idea what he, that he, you know, about what he's talking, which well, I listen, listen, this, this, doesn't. this administration is all over the map on all sorts of things. But uh, what we've seen here are a couple of things this past week that are interesting. One is the surgeon general of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murphy, 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 Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, said that uh, the it, as as Jared explained it again for those of you playing the home game, Jared is now taking leave of us and he's advising one of his other clients on OSHA regulations in the age of COVID. Um, but uh, again, Dr. Vivek Murthy, Brad has now said that the uh, the uh, vaccine mandate for businesses of a hundred or more employees will now potentially apply to all businesses in this. Uh, in this country so that uh, for those of you uh, who are not aware that is a uh, mandate that you either have to um, be vaccinated uh, with the boosters recommended by the government depending on which variation of the vaccine you took uh, or be tested on a weekly basis at the expense of the small business Uh, so it seems brad that that uh, that is um, that is sort of uh, expanding the scope of what uh, the biden administration is trying to do but at the same time uh, we have a three-judge panel at the Court of Appeals, uh, Federal District Court, where the, uh, the the court has ruled that the overall mandate is potentially unconstitutional, and they're looking at papers as to whether or not they're going to grant a stay of enforcement of that uh, mandate. So I said a lot there, Brad, but it seems like Big Brother is coming for us, but maybe we have some avenues of protection that we can avail ourselves of. Well, you would hope we would. Right. I mean, I, again, I, you happen to be an attorney. I happen not to be an attorney, but I am going to go out on a limb here and say that the president unilaterally mandating people be vaccinated or tested or lose their jobs or businesses, entire businesses potentially being shut down and unable to operate because of such a mandate, I, I would hope that that is the kind of thing that we would find to be not in line with our constitution. And I I can almost guarantee you that if any of the signatories to the United States constitution were alive today, they would say, yeah, that's not what we're looking for. Right. And, 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 but again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last segment that keep it up, right. Keep it up. Attorney general, not attorney general, surgeon general of the United States, keep it up keep pushing into the absurdity that is going to eventually get people to just say, nah, you know what? We're just not going to do any of this because again, there is no way 
other than through the voluntary compliance of the people of the United States, that you can actually make this work, right? I mean, who is going to go down to a five-person bagelry in you know the backwaters of you know Dumptyville and enforce this policy? Right? I mean, literally, no one, no one is going to do that. Right. I mean, you may. Yeah. I, you know, you can't even do it with companies that are over 100 employees. I mean, maybe if you said companies over 10,000 employees, I mean, maybe then there would you know, be enough enforcement agents who could go around and go, well, it looks like you're doing it. it looks like you're not. But not only are they just making absurd statements with regard to a virus that the vast majority of Americans have just they're just over it. They've, they've had it or they've been vaccinated. They're just over it. They're done with it. No one wants to wear masks. I mean, it, it is funny the number of people, as, as we talked about in the opening, my wife and I were flying around a little bit this weekend. You bump into people you've never seen before in your life. The first thing they say is, ah, geez, I didn't wear these masks. But no one wants to do it, except for the folks in the echo chamber inside the Beltway who are not only not recognizing that that is the heartbeat of the vast majority of Americans, but are, are continuing to try and act like there's a real threat out there and we literally have to force people to be vaccinated for a disease you have to be tested to know that you have and we're gonna fight, we're gonna and see that you cannot earn a wage if you don't have this vaccination. That's just not gonna play well. And eventually people are gonna go, you know what, make me. I, screw it. I'm not doing it. I'm not testing my employees. I'm not checking their vaccine cards. I'm just not doing it. You know, let's see what you do about that. And the problem for you as the government, when that happens, you're just made to look like a fool, right? At that point, you lose all credibility. It's like parents that you see in the grocery store, the kid's freaking out. He wants the sugar crisp. The Mom says you can't have it. The kid sugar freaks snaps. the F out. Sugar snaps. Right. They want sugar the sugar snaps. stuff. Mom says, hey, if you keep that up, you know, I, I'm going to take you out of here. The kid knows the mom's full of crap, keeps it up. And now, you know, the mom's there red faced in the sugar snaps aisle. The kids mm -hmm. won. Everybody knows it. The kid knows it. <laughs> you know, it's just it's it, and that's where it's going to be. Right. I mean, the 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 administration's going to be stomping its foot and pointing at people and saying you have to. And everybody's just going to ignore it. They're just going to go about their business. Yep. And I and, you know, I don't. There has to be someone in the Biden administration who's going, hey, 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 you know, we're rapidly losing any credibility we've had. Look at the polls. Look at the way the people are, are talking about this administration. If we want to make it through the next, you know, three years, we're going to have to do something different. But, uh, you know, apparently not. No, I think that's I think that's right. There doesn't seem to be an adult in the administration whatsoever. I think it's interesting that. Some companies are complying, right? I mean, United Airlines fired you know, or furloughed uh, you know, thousands and thousands of employees who didn't want to um, get the vaccine. And you know, now they actually, they literally just issued a press release saying that uh, they were 90% vaccinated as a company. Well, no shit. Yeah, you just fired everybody. Right, so yeah. of course you are, uh, or I should say, no kidding. You just fired everyone. Um, and, uh, and and so it's funny, these um, more and more you see these, uh, you know, you see these companies choosing these arcane government regulations over their employees. And at the end of the day, that is not going to uh, 
uh, help any of these companies um, with attracting talent. And, and I, I wouldn't want to be United Airlines. I wouldn't want to be any of these airlines that uh, are, are furloughing so many workers because of these vaccine mandates and then can't get you, you know, from Wichita to, uh, to Oklahoma City on time. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Well, and, and, and buddy, we talked about it earlier. No one wants to work for a coward, right? I mean, typically in the general business world, your backbone is not often tested, right? For better or for worse, you know, most quote unquote leaders in the business world can just go to the office or get on the Zoom, whatever they're doing and pontificate and make sure your TPS cover sheets are in on time and all that good stuff. And their, their personal integrity their backbone, their sense of right and wrong is rarely tested, right? And so you really don't know whether you're working for a coward or you're working for a leader in, on most occasions. But this, interestingly, and again, I think this is good for our country. I think looking back on this, we're going to say, you know what, that was, a, that was a tough period. We wouldn't want to relive through it, but we learned a lot. And one of the things we're going to learn is who's got some spine. Right. Who is someone who has an innate sense of right and wrong, who cares about their employees, who cares about their customers and clients, who is going to stand up and say, not on my watch. We're not doing this. It's not legal. There's no foundation for it. It makes no sense. I won't do it. Or who's just going to knuckle under and, you know, kind of quietly sit in their office in the corner, sucking their thumb and playing with their hair and say, oh, gee, I hope the government just leaves me alone just long enough for me to get my bonus this year, right? And yeah. your employees and your clients and your customers are going to see all of that. And you are going to be relieved of your responsibilities. And that, at the end, will be a good thing. It's just a painful way to get there. Relieved with a capital R. Yeah. Finally, Brad, our last segment of the show, Best for Last, uh, Bard or Band, the Bronze Stevie Award-winning segment, which everyone is talking about here on CRN1. Now, as we know, on CRN2, they're talking nothing but OSHA 24-7. But on CRN1, we are talking about Bard or Band, Bronze Stevie Awards, and uh, what appears to be uh, probably the strongest segment uh, in all of CRN radio, but for the OSHA compliance seminar going on right now on CRN2. So let's get to it. Barter ban this week, Brad, as you know, the president of the United States out of the country, then he queefed on the Duchess of Cornhole, came back, and he was asked about this program, which was announced uh, uh, a week ago, where they were paying you know, these large settlements to uh, folks who were here illegally and citizens of other countries. And he said that that was all hogwash, but then the administration walked it back, and it appears that the administration is set to implement a policy where these um, citizens of foreign lands who come here without the uh, necessary papers um, would, be, uh, would be paid a significant amount of money, up to half a million dollars a person, a million dollars a family. Again, that's considerably more than a soldier killed in action gets uh, for his or her family. Um, and I guess the question, Brad, is should that practice be implemented or barred or banned? Well, you know, again, this is an easy one, buddy. Sometimes we get this. I always like it when we do, because oftentimes we wrestle with complex issues on barter ban. It's just the nature of the segment. It's why it won a bronze Stevie. I mean, we are not afraid to deal with the tough issues, but this is a case where we're just not there, right? I mean, this, this makes 
no sense, right? So let, let's walk through it. I know there are folks who, for one reason or another, are concerned that maybe things on the southern border are not being handled correctly, that we're abusing people's human rights, that all these things are happening. And again, you and I have not visited down there. We don't know, but we do try to pay attention to these things. So let, let's walk through what happens. So you decide you are not inside the United States of America and you feel like you would like to be. And by virtue of your own actions, the, you force the United States government to take custody of you and have to deal with you, right? So the party at fault here is not the United States government, right? So now you've placed yourself in a situation where the United States has to take custody of you and decide how to deal with you. And that's not going to be quick. It's not good. The U.S. government doesn't do anything quickly or well, quite frankly, but certainly not quickly. And so you're going to be in custody for a while by virtue of actions you took of your own free will in the vast majority of cases, right? And so somehow that then puts the onus on that same United States government to pay you an extraordinary sum of money. I mean, raise your hand if you made half a million bucks in the last five years. I'd love for someone to point to the statute that says, if you enter the United States illegally, you have earned half a million bucks from the taxpayers of the United States. I, I just don't get it. And so I see, it seems to me that this is one of those easy ones, buddy, where we ban and we bar, and then we ban this behavior. I was going to say bar, ban, bar, but- Yeah, probably- I'll go with that. I'm happy with that. So we're yeah. on the same page here. Well, listen, uh, I think you're exactly on point. I think obviously it's crazy. It's an easy one. It is not a close call. So for purposes of our Bronze Stevie Award-winning segment, we're going to say bar, ban, bar. Uh, so what I'm going to say to everyone is thank you so much. And for myself and Brad, thank you again. And we'll see you next week here on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.